This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. In this podcast, I examine logical fallacies, cognitive biases, stoic teachings from masters past and present, and tips on being better at life. I hope it will be as instructive to you as it is to me in the pursuit of thinking and doing well. If you'd like to kick back a small commission from every Amazon purchase you make at no extra cost to you, please use and bookmark our special link at AmazonEVC.com. That's AmazonEVC.com. Hello and welcome to Thinking and Doing. I've decided to merge the logical fallacy episodes with the cognitive bias episodes and just do one of each. And then my other episodes are stoic teachings, life pro tips, and once in a while, some sort of article review. I just didn't think that tackling a couple of logical fallacies was very exciting. It wasn't very motivating to me to sit down and say, uh, let's look at a couple of logical fallacies. They just aren't that sexy. Cognitive biases was more exciting because there's a lot more that I can review uh, using Rolf DeBelli's book. Stoic teachings I'm having a lot of fun with, as well as life pro tips. But with logical fallacies, I was just not really looking forward to those episodes. So I thought, you know what, let's make a change. Let's stick this together with cog- uh, with cognitive bias. They're similar. And let's see how that feels. So this is the first episode in that vein. We're going to look at spurious causation, which is a variant of the post hoc fallacy. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 74 in The Art of Thinking Clearly, uh, which he calls not invented here syndrome. So we'll, we'll read through that. All right. Spurious causation. And the resource that I use for this is ozarkia.net, which is... Uh, a fellow by the name of Hogeye Bill put together this resource. It's his master list of fallacies, and there's there's so many on here. Okay, spurious causation. Uh, here are several statements. The consumer will have to pay the bill for the oil spill. Scientists are responsible for the danger of nuclear war. The advance of modern medicine underlies the present population explosion. Henry Ford is responsible for air pollution. Taxpayers are forced to finance policies that many of them would oppose. All right, those are all examples of spurious causation. Here's here's some of his reasoning. The taxpayer, okay, using that last statement, taxpayers are forced to finance policies that many of them would oppose. The taxpayer does not do the financing. The government does. The statement implies that the taxpayer is performing some positive action when, in fact, he is the passive victim. There seems to be very these seem to be variants of the post hoc fallacy. The selected element is contributory, but it's certainly not a sufficient cause. An attempt is being made to transfer blame onto someone who's only marginally or not at all responsible. Okay, you you definitely see this fallacy being committed widespread when it comes to, you know, popular media, legacy media, political news, so on and so forth. This is this is probably a very common fallacy. 
Let's uh, look again at some of these examples. The consumer will have to pay the bill for the oil spill. Now, it's it's true that if there's an oil spill, either the company who caused the spill, right, it's an accident, it was a risk to be mitigated, so they probably had some level of insurance. Whatever governmental jurisdiction they fall under either required some level of insurance for this possibility or capped the level of liability and pick and and at least as a matter of law picks up the difference on uh, that liability so an oil spill happens the oil company is responsible for cleanup right if they are insured then they will recoup those costs whatever costs are associated with with as much as you could do in that regard and it probably can't be totally cleaned up and they will have some costs in the in the form of insurance deductibles and whatnot but insurance will pick up pick up the rest and after that depending on jurisdiction the government will then pick up the rest and some of these jurisdictions i think this is the case in the us the government does protect oil companies to some extent they require some level of insurance and then promise to insure after that if these companies had to insure the total cost instead of being subsidized in this way by this by the government then things would be different a bit. It doesn't mean that oil spills wouldn't happen, but you know, perhaps uh, they'd be a little bit more careful if they had full liability instead of just partial liability in that sense. Anyway, the company does have some costs from this. Obviously, they're going to suffer bad PR. They're going to suffer the insurance deductible, and they're going to try to pass those costs on as they do with all their costs. This is nothing new with, with markets and business. You try to recoup all of your costs through selling your product, but people don't have to buy your product, especially if it's a competitive market, if it's, if it's allowed to be a competitive market. Again, this is, this is where government can play a role by uh, making it more or less difficult or illegal to compete with uh, a given business in a given industry. But assuming it is a competitive uh, industry, consumers do not have to, okay, it's not a matter of cause and effect that consumers will continue to buy your product. They may they may be very unhappy or many customers may be very unhappy with what happened and and boycott in a sense your your product. So every company tries to recoup their costs whether it's the costs of developing the product or the costs of manufacturing the product uh, or anything else. Every company tries to earn earn revenue above and beyond those costs. So it's not true that the consumer will have to pay for the bill for the oil spill. Somebody will have to pay for the bill. There are contractual arrangements with insurance companies and the state and whatnot. Um, okay, the next one. Scientists are responsible for the danger of nuclear war. Well, scientists scientists did develop nuclear bombs, and they did so at the behest of the people paying them and the people giving them the orders. Is it true that they bear... Uh, any or all responsibility for the the threat that nuclear war poses? Well, they certainly don't bear all the responsibility. The people who build the weapons, right? The people who build the weapons and store the weapons and set up the weapons and are prepared to use the weapons will probably bear most of that responsibility. Um, but what would it mean to say that the scientists are responsible for the danger of nuclear war? What does that mean? Those sci those scientists are long are long past dead, <laughs> probably. 
right? Nuclear weapons were invented decades and decades ago. I don't know if anybody who worked on the Manhattan Project uh, during World War II is still alive. So I don't know if this um, is only an example of spurious causation, but it's an example probably of some other fallacy. Uh, but of course, there are scientists still at work today, um, improving them and perfecting them and developing them. And they probably operate on the belief that doing so is a matter of self-defense, a matter of mutually assured destruction and survival. So from their own points of view, they're not, they're not uh, aggressors. They are protectors, probably. That's probably how they view it. So that needs to be picked apart. And that's, that's really the, the purpose of this fallacy, or that's really the purpose of identifying this fallacy, is let's, whatever's being said, let's pick it apart and see if there really is causation here, right? Take, take this example. Henry Ford is responsible for air pollution. Henry Ford did not invent the uh, gas-powered motor, which at the time it was not believed that this caused any sort of dangerous air pollution. Um, and he can't be responsible for anything because he's dead. But he did, um, he did inv- invent the assembly line that, that made building automobiles quicker and less expensive, which uh, led to their widespread adoption and purchase. And now, you know, we're, we're a world filled with automobiles. But Henry Ford inventing the assembly line and building cars did not force anybody to buy them. Okay. Henry Ford may hold some responsibility for air pollution, but every single person who bought a gas-powered vehicle and turned it on and started spewing their exhaust into the air, which comes to billions of people over the history of the automobile, it comes to pretty much the totality of humanity, at least the adults, since most adults have used or have benefited from uh, positively or turned on or driven or operated an automobile by now is uh, as much responsible for that as Henry Ford, I would say. So again, the purpose in identifying this fallacy is is to give one an opportunity to to dig into it and to say, um, is it is it true that that what it's saying is is actually cause and effect? And um in the you know in the in the case of these examples it it does not seem to be the case. All right, let's uh that's spurious causation. Let's go on to the next uh segment here uh for cognitive bias. All right, this is chapter 74 in Rolf Debelli's The Art of Thinking Clearly. The the title of the chapter is Why You Can't Beat Homemade. But the name of the bias is not invented here syndrome. So he's he's going to explain. Let's let's read through it and add some commentary as I see fit. My cooking skills are quite modest, and my wife knows it. However, every now and then I concoct a dish that could pass for edible. A few weeks ago, I bought some sole. Determined to escape the monotony of familiar sauces, I devised a new one. A daring combination of white wine, pureed pistachio nuts, honey, grated orange peel, and a dash of balsamic vinegar. Upon tasting it, my wife slid her baked sole to the edge of the plate and began to scrape off the sauce, smiling ruefully as she did so. I, on the other hand, didn't think it was bad at all. I explained to her in detail that I, what a bold creation she was missing, but her expression stayed the same. Two weeks later, we were having sole again. This time, my wife did the cooking. She prepared two sauces. The first was her tried-and-true Bière Blanc, and the other, a new recipe from a French top chef. The second tasted horrible. Afterward, she confessed that it was not a French recipe at all, but a Swiss one, my masterpiece from two weeks before. <laughs> she had caught me out. I was guilty of the not-invented-here syndrome. 
which fools us into thinking something we create ourselves is unbeatable. This syndrome causes you to fall in love with your own ideas. This is valid not only for fish sauces, but for all kinds of solutions, business ideas, and inventions. Companies tend to rate homegrown ideas as far more important than those from outsiders, even if, objectively, this is not the case. I recently had lunch with the CEO of a company that specializes in software for health insurance firms. He told me how difficult it is to sell his software to potential customers, even though his firm is the market leader in terms of service security and functionality. Most insurers are convinced that the best solution is what they've crafted themselves in-house over the past 30 years. Another CEO told me how hard it is to get his staff in the company's headquarters to accept solutions proposed from far-flung subsidiaries. When people collaborate to solve problems and then evaluate these ideas themselves, uh, not-invented-here syndrome will inevitably exert an influence. Thus, it makes sense to split teams into two groups. The first group generates ideas, the second rates them, and vice versa. We tend to rate our own business ideas as more successful than other people's concepts. This self-confidence forms the basis of thriving entrepreneurship, but also explains startups' frequently miserable returns. This is how psychologist Dan Ariely measured this syndrome. Writing in his blog in the New York Times, Ariely asked readers to provide solutions to six issues, such as how can cities reduce water consumption without limiting it by law? The readers had to make suggestions and assess the feasibility of all the ideas proposed. They also had to specify how much of their time and money they would invest in each idea. Finally, they were limited to using a set list of 50 words, ensuring that everyone gave more or less the same answers. Despite this, the majority rated their own responses as more important and applicable than the others, even though the submissions were virtually identical. On a societal level, not-invented-here syndrome has serious consequences. We overlook shrewd ideas simply because they come from other cultures. In Switzerland, where each state or canton has certain powers, one tiny canton never approved women's suffrage. It took a federal court ruling in 1990 to change the law, a startling case of not invented here. Or consider the modern traffic roundabout with its clear yield requirements that was designed by British transport engineers in the 60s and implemented throughout the UK. It took another 30 years full of oblivion and resistance until this obvious traffic decongestant found its way in the United States and continental Europe. Today, France alone has more than 30,000 roundabouts, which the French now probably falsely attribute to the designer of the Place de la Tolle. <laughs> I don't know if I pronounced that right. In conclusion, we are drunk on our own ideas. To sober up, take a step back every now and then and examine their quality in hindsight. Which of your ideas from the past 10 years were truly outstanding? Exactly. I'm just trying to think of any examples of this that I've suffered from and of course all my ideas are brilliant so i don't i don't think i have <laughs> um no I, you know i've i've made changes like for example i started this podcast um and then shortly after i stopped recording anything for either of my podcasts but i'm back at it and i started with a specific template of looking at a fallacy a bias a stoic teaching a life pro tip in one episode the episode you know, they turned out to be a bit longer, but it was also like, you know, here's some different things. And I've thought about returning to that. Um, I, I went away from that and I said, you know, I'd really like to have an episode where I look at one or two or three specific Stoic teachings or life pro tips or something. And and so I, I set it for these four different topics. I set it that way. One episode would be logical fallacies. I'll look at two of them or maybe three of them. Another episode would be cognitive biases. I'd look at one or two Stoic teachings, a few of them, life pro tips, a few of them. And I did that 
And then I found that the logical fallacy, and this is what I talked about at the beginning of this episode, the logical fallacy episode just wasn't very exciting. Um, it was the least exciting, followed by cognitive bias. And then I really enjoyed doing the Stoic teachings and the Life Pro Tips. That Looking at those gives me far more of an opportunity to to talk about them, to add my commentary, to give my thoughts about what I think about them and to, and to pick apart uh, possible examples in my own life and bring them forward and to remember them. That's probably why they were more exciting to me, the life pro tips and the stoic teachings. Um, and to to some extent, not, not to as uh, great an extent as those, but to some extent, the cognitive bias um, episodes. Logical fallacy was a bit more robotic. It was a bit more technical. And I think that's why I wasn't motivated and it wasn't as exciting. So that was an example where I, I may have just chugged ahead thinking it was brilliant, but I, I could feel, and I don't, I don't have any idea from listeners. I don't know if I even have any listeners. I'm not too concerned about that. That's not why I do this. Um, if I do, you know, send me a message. Let me know what you think. But I wasn't enjoying it. So it wasn't so much uh, an example, I guess, of being drunk on my own idea as it was this idea tastes really flat. I want to be drunk on on something. Let's get rid of this. Let's let's change it up. And this is the first episode of that result where I'm doing a, a fallacy and a bias. And so far, it's felt better. Um, it was a good fallacy, I think. Spurious causation, very common. A bit sexier. Some fallacies are really, really boring. So if I can chug those out and then get to something a bit more interesting with a cognitive bias then I think that the, the episode will be salvaged rather than committing a, an entire episode to a couple of really boring fallacies. I don't know. Again, this is me just doing it, deciding how I feel about it, and then making changes and seeing how I feel about that. This is not me responding to any sort of listener uh, advice or complaint or anything because I haven't received any. Maybe I will one day, even with my other podcast, which gets about 100 downloads an episode, I, I really don't get much feedback. You know, it's very rare, once in a while. Um, so, you know, if you are listening and you are enjoying this and you do maybe have some ideas about how I can uh, format these episodes. And at some point, I imagine I'll introduce some some other philosophical bits, you know, some other schools of thought and add that to, to what I go through. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that this podcast will stay where it is right now, because my other podcast, I'm almost at 400 episodes, and it has changed a lot over the years. And what I'm doing right now with it, I'm enjoying. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get more people to come on and have a chat with me, and just you know, uh, afford them the opportunity to vent and to unload their own opinions and their own thoughts. And then you know they can bounce those off me. We can go back and forth, and it can be it can be fun. And you know, I'm not I'm not at that point where I'm doing that with this this podcast where I'm, I'm bringing up people to talk about this stuff. I can see in the future where I might be though. Anyway. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode. We looked at spurious causation, which actually has another name, gratuitous inculpation. That name was far less sexy than uh, spurious causation. So that's why I never said it. And we looked at the not invented here syndrome. Look around at your current practices, what you're doing, what you're making personally at at home or in the workplace and put it through the test. It may not be 
I mean, just because it was invented there and it serves your purpose sufficiently, it may not be the best. There may be a way to take that to the next level and increase your productivity and increase your satisfaction with your day-to-day, whatever it is. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast at everythingvoluntary.com by visiting patreon.com forward slash EVC or paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Thank you. Thank you.